Right, we're back. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at drewmarshall.ca, uh, and we're all sorts of other places as well. <laughs> nice summary. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Morgan Cron. He's the author of The Road Back to Drew, and the, I mean to you, uh, an Enneagram's journey to self-discovery. Can I just tell you that, and you already know this, but for our listeners' benefit, I'm just a big fan of the Enneagram. That's why we had the Enneagram... As People, a highlighted yes. feature, Gail Scott, Enneagram guru extraordinaire, was on our show once a month for seven months. I did mine because of it. Right. And yep. did, what did you find out about yourself, Tim? Uh, oh, jeez. I can't like what cuddling. Are. Oh, no, that's yes. love language. No, that's love language. I think I was four and seven, I think. Were you trying to figure out your, your Enneagram number? Yeah. I think it was 666. Yes, that's yeah, the that's one. That's what it was. Yeah. What would you give for a tool... <laughs> That opened your eyes to who you really are and helped you become your truest self. Ignorance is bliss, except in self-awareness. What you don't know about yourself can hurt you and your relationships and even keep you in the shallows with God, if you believe in God. Uh, do you want to help? Uh, do you want a little bit of help figuring out who you are and why you're stuck in the same ruts, Tim? Always. Well, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system. Do you understand that? Yes. We're not talking about a typewriter. No, we personality we types. That. Okay. With an uncanny accuracy in describing how human beings are wired both positively and negatively. In The Road Back to You, Ian Morgan Cron and uh, his uh, co author, uh, Suzanne St- Stable, 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 I don't know how to say it. Why don't we just get Ian on the show? I don't want to read the bio anymore. Ian, um, first big important question to you is how do you pronounce Suzanne's last name? Oh, that's a that's a great start, Ruth. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel so uh, welcome. It's the first time I've ever had a. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, stabi- yeah. it's stable. Stable. Okay. All right. Who is she, by the way? I I don't care about her. I care about you. Why is she hanging off your coattails? What's going on? Oh, you are you are so evil. Um, I uh, I met Suzanne a bunch of years ago on a. Uh, she invited me to come to Texas to speak at the Bright Divinity School and uh, formed a friendship. Found out that she. Uh, did a lot of teaching around the Enneagram, and one thing led to another, and uh, I brought her on to uh, consult on the book. Nice, nice. Well, apparently this book is witty and filled with stories, so that must have something to do with the fact that Suzanne uh, was part of the book. Well, yes, because as you know, I'm a dour (laughs) and uh, dark-spirited man. (laughs) I remember, I think the last text I got from you was something like, you're dead to me. Do you remember well, that? <laughs> yes. Well, th- that that this is a classic example of false news. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that's the media twisting something out of context. Uh, if they had seen the, the the whole text stream, they would know yeah. exactly why I said that. Well, this book uh, certainly allows people to peek inside each of the nine Enneagram types, uh, keeping you turning the pages long after you've uh, read the chapter. Uh, and reading, of course, about your own number, but but I think uh, I think it's important for people. Look, everyone's going to do that. I've got the big, uh, huge Enneagram book, and I went right to my chapter because I want to know about me first. But I think it'd be pretty helpful to learn about the other uh, personality types, don't you think, Ian Cron? I, I absolutely. I think the book is kind of uh, uh, you've diminished the value of it greatly if you just sort of jump to your number. And I think because it's a primer. Uh, it's helpful to read every number in search of your own, uh, to be certain. So, uh, 
I, you know, advanced students like you would jump to your number, but a lot of people who read it would need to do the whole thing right. to figure out which one they were. The first guy that turned me on to the Enneagram was Roar. Father Roar. Richard Roar, of course. I think, was he not the guy that sort of said to the Christian population, okay, people, let's all relax. Uh, it's not a cult. It's not, you know, pagan stuff. It's This is good stuff that Jesus people can use. Was he not the first guy to sort of get all the Jesus people to take a breath? Yeah, I mean, uh, Richard wrote that book, I believe, uh, the first round of it in its original you know, edition was about 1992, and that was about 1999, the one that most people see. Yeah. Uh, you know, by that point, uh, the Enneagram had, had made its way into the Catholic world uh, through retreat directors and spiritual directors, and so it was well known in that sphere, but the broader world didn't know about it. Uh, until, you know, Helen Palmer released a book, and then Richard released one from the, uh, the Christian perspective not long after. So, um, yeah, I'd say that Richard was the first to help integrate uh, a Christian worldview into the work of the Enneagram, for sure. Why Why did you get into it? I mean, what's your thing? I got into it because I, I needed some, well, I'm sure you find this hard to believe, but I needed some personal help. Why did you get into it? Yeah, I would, the first time I ever was exposed to the Enneagram, I was in seminary working on a master's in counseling, and I came across the book in a retreat center while on retreat. And I remember reading it after a year of uh, you know studying personality development and among other things, and thinking, "Holy smoke, this is really brilliant!" Uh, and not only that, but it's accessible and it's uh, descriptive. It it appears very accurate and why the heck didn't we study this? Uh, now, I brought it back to my my professor, one of my professors of theology at the school, and he uh, took one look at the, the cover and, and, and said, that looks like a pentagram, <laughs> and uh, uh, immediately told me that I should burn the book, but I didn't. Right. Uh, I went on to study it, and over the years, and I, about three years ago, I was at a stop sign, and I had an epiphany in the car, which is I, everywhere I went, people Just, kept talking about the Enneagram, and I thought, you know what? No one has written a book on that in 20 years. Hmm. Uh, so I, I saw a hole in the line that was interesting, and I ran with it. Nice, nice. Ian, can you, if someone was to approach you and say, dude, I, I, get, I, I think I understand the Enneagram, I've, I, I want to get your book, but I want to do more. I want to. I want to go to a course. I want to get some training. I want to. Can someone walk me through the enneagram? What do, What do you got for me? Well, they can come to a workshop with me. Uh, they go to my website and find out. They can. There's certainly lots of others that are are wonderful. You know, we mentioned Helen Palmer, who works in the narrative, you know, side of things, which is really listening to others describe their experience in a personality space, which is very helpful. Riso and Hudson, obviously, but I think probably for a lot of your listeners coming to someone who has, uh, even though I don't do what I would call a heavy integration of, you know, faith and the Enneagram, I'm, I'm certainly very familiar with that view, and I would be very sensitive to it. What does that mean, sensitive to the faith uh, stuff? Well, you know, I think um, the Enneagram is, an, you know, is not inherently biased theologically to anything. I've used it recently and you know consulting with fortune 500 companies so it's not something you have to go in with uh with the 
underlying principles of the, of any faith involved. Uh, it feathers beautifully with the uh, Christian worldview, but it uh, isn't inherently biased in that direction. So, but it's easy to bring forth uh, the parts of the sort of our own faith tradition that is continuous with it. Okay. So, no problem. Okay, let's let's actually uh, you know you and I are both aware of the various personality types, but but it's, apparently there's people that listen to this show, which is always surprising. And uh, right, right, Tim. What? Who? What? I wasn't listening. Uh, so we should probably educate our listeners as to the personality types. And I'm going to look. We've got three interns in the studio here, and I want all three of them to actually listen, because I'm going to ask them. It's a, it's a test, girls. It's a quiz. At the end of uh, Ian and I talking about the various personality types, I want you to think about which one you think you might be. Without having done the test, done the quiz, you just think about which one you might be, okay? All right. Um, Ian, shall we begin? Sure. And these are going to be such 50,000-foot flybys that, you know, uh, they certainly won't be comprehensive. But let's, so let's, wh- let's, uh, that let's was, begin. That was Ian's way of saying you need to buy the book. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Here we go. With students of Yeah. Go. That's right. So uh, to begin, uh, well, we'll go through the numbers and then I'll I'll make some observations if you want me to. Ones uh, are called the reformers or the perfectionists. I prefer reformer, but uh, you'll see perfectionists quite a bit. Uh, Every number has an underlying motivation that explains or accounts for the way that people typically – Act, think, feel, react, and process information in the world. Okay? Okay. So the underlying motivation of the perfectionist is to improve or perfect themselves, others, and the world around them. And uh, these are uh, really, when they're healthy, they're like Atticus Finch. You know, they're responsible, they're reliable, they're dutiful. These are people that uh, really uh, are acutely aware when they walk in a room what they pay attention to immediately is what's wrong they, they just spot errors in the environment uh immediately and uh the twos are called okay hold on hold on just before we go to the twos is there a question that someone might ask of themselves in the number one to figure out if they're a number one or not what what's the question they should ask themselves well, that is a great question on your part uh which is of course stunning to me but uh <laughs> It just it just renewed my faith. Uh, I um, uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. The question would be: Do you have a constant neg- stream of negative self commentary, uh, an inner critic that you sense is consistently monitoring and critiquing your thoughts, feelings, and actions, pretty much twenty four seven? Okay, say that one more time because I, I want our interns to pay attention. You know, they're millennials, so you got to repeat it and then give them a candy at the end. Go. Oh, okay. So the question that I would ask, and I think this is kind of the make or break question for once, is do you have uh, a continuous running stream of negative self-commentary, you know, kind of going in your head, an inner critic that is monitoring and commenting, often in a very helpful way, on your uh, behavior your thoughts, your feelings, it's sort of a, an inner judge running all the time. Yeah, and don't get it uh, confused with Drew's voice. No. Don't get it. No. <laughs> okay. No. It's, uh, if you don't have that, then you're, you're, you're either, you're not a one 
or you might have what I call secondhand smoke, which is kind of like you might have had a one parent and you're just kind of getting the ghosty features Got it. of it, Got but it. you don't really have it. Got it. Okay, number two. Number twos are called the helpers. Uh, helpers, two. the underlying motivation of a helper is the need to be needed. Uh, these are people who they're in what's called the heart triad. They are very image conscious. They walk into a room and they immediately pick up on people's feelings, but they'll usually zero in on one individual. And the first question right through their mind, whether they're aware of it or not, is, gee, I wonder what it is that you're feeling. What do you need? And how do I meet your needs? Um, the downside, every number uh, is wonderful when it's in a healthy space, but when it's in that average to lower, not so, not so healthy space, twos move from altruistic giving to being manipulative, calculated givers in search of not just appreciation, but really in search of the assurance that you will be there for them in their time of need and support without their having to acknowledge or own up to their own needs. Okay, so just to recap, number one was called what again? The perfectionist or the reformer. Proof, pro, pro, the what? The per, per, perfectionist, perfectionist, yeah, I'm perfect. Yeah, and, and, and when those people go to an unhealthy space, right, they're no longer Atticus Finch, right? <laughs> they, they suddenly become... Uh, the uh, kind of finger-wagging, nitpicking perfectionist who has these high internal standards uh, against which they judge everybody else who will feel oftentimes right. judged and overly criticized by the one. Right. That's when they're, when they're in an unhealthy state. Yeah, low average. To average unhealthy. Okay. Yeah. And, the, and the number two again is? The helper. The helper. Is there a second word for the helper? Because you gave two words to the first one. No, I say the reformer and the perfectionist because sometimes uh, the perfectionist has a different appearance. Uh, they're not so concerned about getting the bills paid you know, right on time, having a perfect credit score, picking lint off of your shirt, uh, <laughs> judging or criti- you know, reloading the dishwasher right after you did because you, you didn't do it oh, perfectly. Oh, man. Uh, that, the reformer type is more like uh, somebody like uh, Ralph Nader. Okay, uh, remember what country you're talking to here? Oh, right. So they're they're Gandhi. You know, there's somebody who sees a system that's broken that needs repairing. Uh, I think Hillary Clinton's a one. Uh, they they see a system that needs repairing, and they really go on a crusade to perfect or improve the the system right. that's broken. Okay. Okay. All right. We've talked about one. We've talked about two. Helper. What's a three? Yeah. Threes are called the uh, the performer or the achiever. They have a need to succeed and to avoid failure at all costs. I, I would also say about threes that they are the most driven, goal-oriented, task-accomplishing human beings you, you've really ever met. They're competitive. They're ambitious. They are the you know, sort of the icon of America, right? The success-driven, image-conscious, very image-conscious. They really want to, when they're in a not-so-great space, they they have the ability, it's almost a chameleon-like superpower, to shapeshift or to adapt to whatever it is that they perceive the group wants them to be. Mm. And they'll just morph into it uh, to win... Not appreciation. That's what the two wants. The three is going to want admiration. And uh, but of course, you know when they're healthy, 
they're terrific human beings. Uh, but man, when they're not, they are right back. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. They can kind of be hucksters, you know, a little bit of little, little hustlers, right. uh, and, uh, who are willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead. Now we're talking in a pretty unhealthy space, but there, there are plenty of people out there like this. So. But, but when they're in a healthy space, would they not be like the light of the room? Everybody, every, all eyes are on them. Yes, uh, because they are remarkably uh, charming, attractive, charismatic, uh, persuasive. When they're unhealthy, they're self-marketing, self-promotional, uh, and... You know, in many ways, the threes that I know that are healthy actually will still walk in the room and really radiate that kind of confidence yeah. and uh, self-assurance. But they will actually be more interested in helping you succeed than in flaunting their own successes. That's when they're healthy. Okay. All right. Uh, we are on the line with uh, Ian Morgan Cron. He's the author of The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. His website is iancron.com. That's C-R-O-N dot com, iancron.com. We're talking about the uh, different personality types right now within the Enneagram. And uh, for those of you that are, I don't know, like I covered this a lot last year, and, and uh, I know there's some Jesus people out there like, oh, this is like hocus pocus kind of. No, it's not. And it's not it's not predictive. It's not futuristic. It's not uh, star sign stuff or whatever. No, this is just eyes wide open, figure out who you are, because the sooner you can figure out who you are and who you aren't, the sooner you can um, start being a real benefit to those around you as opposed to staying in to that world of who am I, who, who am I, oh, who am I. Uh, you, you figure out who you are, you understand how you interact with others, and uh, and I think you'll, you'll just be less wound up about so much stuff. That's what happened to me anyway, and I... I, I I've made a life out of getting wound up on things. Okay, speaking of uh, me, let's move on to the next number, number four. Yeah, well, now you're in my number. No! Uh, no, yes. we are not the same number. We are the same number. <sighs> There's only enough room in this world for one of us number fours. <laughs> well, this is great. Uh, yeah, well, that's how a four would think. <laughs> um, but uh, they're usually the ones that, that most resist being typed uh, because they – I actually had a woman one time burst into tears during a merit, premarital counseling session when I, I told her she was a four and I just started to describe a four to her and she burst into tears and she said, no, there can't be more people like me. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> oh, golly. And she – oh, by the way, it's, it's, this is too good for – for, to believe, but she was also a drama teacher. No. Which is, oh, it's just so stereotype. That's actually oh, a stereotype, not even a type anymore. Tim, you want to join in on this one? What? Just because I'm a drama teacher? Yeah. Are you, you're not a four, though, are you? Uh, not really. I, I, I thought I was, and I looked at them again. I'm more of a, a two and a nine, I think, are what I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. we're not talking about you right now. We're talking about my, 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 me. Uh, Ian, yeah. Ian, go for it. Yeah. yeah. So this is either uh, <laughs> called the individualist. We call them the romantic. Thank you. Uh, and these are people who have a, a underlying motivation or a need to be special or unique, uh, to make a unique contribution. Uh, they are disproportionately represented in the in the creative world, either in the arts or some other creative pursuit. Uh, these are people who really don't. They don't just have feelings; they are their feelings. Uh, Twos, threes, and fours all struggle with issues related to identity. So twos find their identity outside of themselves in, uh, you know, reaching out toward the feelings of others and identifying with those. Threes 
are identified with their image, uh, our identity. And for fours, man, it's all about the feeling space. Mm. It's all about feelings. Uh, fours, when they're in a healthy space, are remarkably creative and they really are especially unique. But they're the only people who don't know it because they have a sense that they walk around with this pervasive sense that there's something fundamentally flawed or something missing or lacking um, in their essential makeup. And so all of this specialness and uniqueness is sort of a compensatory kind of behavior. You know, it's like I got to make up for this or I've got to use it somehow or another to uh, compensate for what I'm lacking. And I want to they, they really struggle. Each of these numbers struggles with a particular, I put air quotes here, deadly sin or passion. And this envy, obviously, for fours, because they look out at the world and they think, why don't I have the, the normal kind of equipment that everybody else has who appear to be very comfortable and at ease in the world when I don't feel like I belong anywhere? Uh, how's that? Is that pretty good? That's really good. Really good. I, I wish you'd talk about more of the lighter part of who I am. You know, I'd like people, if they're going to know me, to to love me more. So to, I don't want you to tell them how screwed up I am. Tell them how great well, an individualist and a romantic can be. Maybe focus on the romantic part a little more. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, that romantic is sometimes called the tragic romantic. So I, uh, or the tragic artist. I I would say that, you know, first of all, they're, they're, what, what we won't have time to communicate to people is that really there are three subtypes under each of these and i suspect that if you're a forger you're a, a what's called a self-preservation four and that means you often look like a three or a seven huh. Ooh. Wait, which is the... interesting because if you take four away from seven it's three uh, okay great okay thanks for taking that to the numerology space well, yeah, exactly. yeah, well, really well done that's, no that's about the most complicated math i could do i just want to impress my audience okay here. what's well hold on what's a seven no we can't jump to seven stay on five go to, a, seven. go to a five what's a five yeah fives are called the investigator or the observer these are people who have a, a need to know to perceive or to understand and what characterizes their behavior oftentimes is an insatiable desire to collect information and knowledge and often not just broadly uh, although they do but really about niche kind of subjects where they can become expert uh in an area that, of, of interest and um they are the most analytical and often the most uh well they are perceived as the most emotionally detached and unavailable of all the numbers on the enneagram now we're left the heart or the feeling space of two three four we're into the thinking space of now five six and seven yeah and so these people feel like the world is a very draining depleting place where especially in the realm of relationships they they just have a smaller tank than most people do for relationships so they often withdraw they're very private often perceived and often are loners and uh, they just need to be alone to recharge and the way they recharge man is aggregating information until you, you just can't believe how they're like hoovers on the internet i mean it's just like they spend the whole day you know researching some fungus on the side of a tree that they didn't know existed and then they, they were gone for 10 hours oh man that's you funny know? 
They're, they are, they're great, though. I, I'd like to move on from them because they're the personality type that I resonate with the least. Uh, so let's go with number six now, please. Uh, you, you, uh, so what you're saying is that in terms of cognition and intelligence, that you probably are probably I don't, the furthest away. From... I don't even know what those mean. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Moving on to sixes. Sixes are the loyalists, or sometimes they're called the, uh, the devil's advocate. We think there are more sixes in the world than any of the other types but that's speculation hmm. uh sixes uh they're they have a need to feel secure to feel safe and uh these are really great human beings when they're they're healthy but really underlying five sixes and sevens is there this is all fear management stuff hmm. they they are trying to figure out how do i make it in this world uh, that's so frightening. So with sixes, one of their their sort of hallmark features is they're worst case scenario thinkers. Uh, these are people. I, I had a, an aunt who was a, a six, and if I said to her, "Hey, I'm going to see the Rolling Stones tonight, at Madison Square Garden," the first words out of her mouth would be, "Make sure you know where the exits are." <laughs> okay. I mean, seriously, they, I'm not fooling you. They, they, I was talking to a woman the other day, and she's living in Manhattan. She said, "I was walking down the street." And I, I started to wonder in, to myself, what would happen, where would I go or what would I do if a terrorist drove his car up on the sidewalk right now? Like, where, what would I do if, if a bomb went off? And went, yeah, hold on, this is a loyalist? Yes. So let me let me go back to why they are loyalists. Um, when, they're, when they're healthy, loyalists are community-minded, value-oriented. They love traditions, family. They love structure. They like predictability. Um, they are there for you, come heck or high water. When they say, I do, they mean it in a marriage uh, forever. Uh, but they're very focused on who's in charge. They want to know who the authority figure is all the time. Right. So okay. the reason being, you know, they want to know who will keep me safe. Yeah. And uh, so they uh, – they are always both suspicious and attracted to authority figures, whether it's the boss or it might be a belief system. Right. So, you know, we could talk a long time about sixes uh, because the American election was just decided by them, I think. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. For sure. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Uh, just looking at our time. Uh, we, yep. Got, we got it. We got Going a, on to seven. Yeah. Seven. What's a seven? Uh, oh, man. These are, the, these are the joy bombs of the Enneagram. These are... People who are motivated by a need to avoid psychological and emotional uh, harm or unpleasant feelings. Hold on. Are these uh, the enthusiasts? Yes. So they just want to play and party and yeehaw the yeah. whole time. Oh, yeah. These are these are people who really are so much fun. They, they are the first one to yell shotgun when someone says, let's go do something spontaneous. They insist on spontaneity. They are people that are always thinking about the next great escapade they're not actually ever where they are in the moment they're always thinking about what are we doing next and what's the next you know next great thing on the horizon and when they're healthy you know they're very deep people like i think stephen colbert is actually a pretty healthy seven uh but when they're unhealthy they're peter pan they don't want to grow up 
Got it. Got it. Exactly. I, I I used to think, well, I was a seven. I think a lot of teenagers were sevens. Oh, yeah, we were all sevens and millennials. 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 Can we say the M word anymore today? That's just uh, been ridiculous. Uh, um, and then, okay, let's jump to number eight. <laughs> yeah, sure. The challengers. Uh, these are people who, uh, you know them. These are the people at an Enneagram conference who know their number the minute they hear it. It's There's just no question. These are people who have a need to be in control they have a need to go up against uh, and to test authority. Uh, these are people with gigantic personal presence. When um, uh, I suspect it's possible, anyway, from a distance, uh, at least he presents this way. Donald Trump is probably in a, a gigantic presence. I think it's more. Com- I think he's more complicated than that. But mm. they, uh, you'll often sense that they're radiating anger. Uh, that they just have an. In- but it's really intensity. It's. They're, oh, they're domineering, they're challenging, they're blunt, they love a debate. I, li- I like to say that, that eights can start an argument in an empty house. <laughs> they, they, these, are, these are people who get their energy from, really from conflict and from uh, going up against power. And, and it's alpha dog stuff. I mean, they're, they're, but they're amazing. Uh, Martin Luther King, when they're healthy, and Vladimir Putin, when they're not. <laughs> right, so, you know, it's a, it's a big range there. Peacemakers, you want to go to nine? Yeah, let's go to nine. Peacemakers, the yeah, Kumbaya nines, crowd. Uh, they're, they're called the sweethearts of the Enneagram. My wife is a nine. They're gorgeous human beings uh, when they're healthy. But they have an underlying motivation or need to avoid conflict at all costs and to really remain connected to other people at all costs. Uh, nines, unfortunately, will attach themselves uh, or appease others and they'll they'll merge often with a person or a group they 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 self forget their own preferences and opinions and desires and to maintain the peace will merge with the preferences opinions and desires of other people or of a group and with you being a four doesn't your wife the nine drive you nuts because she's not engaged in or passionate about it or have it she just you know what you know just avoid conflict and yeah just neutral and just just neutral neutrality drives me bonkers as a four yes well can i just say that that uh this is you're highlighting something that's wonderful about the enneagram Uh, in terms of marriage like the enneagram has really enhanced our marriage and we really now finally so many lights went on for us when we started to understand that how different and why we're so different uh so yeah there was plenty of sparks in my marriage over that stuff but now i also understand the benefit because my wife is so steady and i tend to be so mercurial you mm-hmm. know all over the map and you know one minute i'm happy the next matter i'm brooding and the next you know so she's a steady eddie in the storm for me and so you know she's like hey uh kumbaya come back when you're done you know, it's like when, when you're done acting out, I'll be right here, and uh, you can, you'll know I'm right here for you. Okay, all right. Um, uh, I'm going to look around the room now, right now, looking at the interns, and let's go with Alexa first. Of all those categories, uh, Alexa, you just shout it out loud because you don't have a mic. Um, what one did you think you were? Were you a perfectionist performer, number one, a helper, number two, achiever, performer, number three, individualist, romantic, number four, number five is the one I can't remember because I don't like them. What's number five again? Investigator. Investigator. Investigator or the observer? Investigator, observer. Hold on, I'm writing this down. Observer. Um, six, loyalist, av- advocate. Seven, enthusiast. Eight, challenger or nine, peacemaker. Go. One, five, eight. 
You can't say, what's your top one? You can't pick three of them. What's wrong with people who pick three? Sorry, what is it again? Your top one. Um, observer. Observer. Okay, observer. Wait, what was the observer? Where's the observer? I the one you don't like. Oh, yeah, I don't like you. Okay, we're not working together. Um, Shreya, what's yours? Yay, except, Yay. except there's only enough room for you, for me as a four in this room. You can't be working with me if you're going to be a four as well. So no more moody that, that's people. That's good. Mm. Yeah, and Tim, you're what again? Um, I'm probably I'm between a two and a and a nine. Just pick one. Uh, well, I'm trying that's to. Typical. I, I can't make a decision because I'm a peacemaker. Oh, right? uh, that's right. Okay, and uh, Elise. Um. This is one of those things where I want to say one, but I'm really bad at knowing myself anyway, so yeah. someone's going to have to tell me what I don't I think you're a perfectionist and performer. I don't. Well, what hit me... Uh, you know, uh, if you need someone else to tell you, just take a little time and look at six. Yeah, take a look at six. Loyalist and advocate. Hmm, interesting. Okay, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Can you stay after class, please? All right. Um, listen, Ian, you are the right guy to do this, all right? Uh, let me, let, I want to let everyone know. Ian Morgan Cron is a best-selling author, Enneagram teacher, nationally recognized speaker, psychotherapist, and Episcopal priest. Yep, that's on his tombstone. His books include the novel Chasing Francis and spiritual memoir Jesus, My Father, and the CIA. No, sorry, the CIA and me. What was that? I just heard a, a creaking horror movie door. Did yeah. you hear that? That, that was my peacemaker coming in the front door. That's what you heard. <laughs> Jason, Jason. Ian draws. Kill, yeah, is her name Jason? Jason, Jason. Jason. Kill, 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 kill. Um, Ian draws on an array of disciplines from psychology to the arts, Christian spirituality to theology to help people enter more deeply into conversation with God and the mystery of their own lives. The book is called The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. The website is iancron.com. Go to, if you're American, because he doesn't come up here and do a lot of seminars. Although, if you want to bring him up here to get him to do a I seminar. I would. Come be, on, man. Put it together. There you go. Ian, I just gave you far more time than I should have, and that's because I care about you deeply. Oh, you're such a kind soul. Not really. I've always yeah. appreciated that about you. <laughs> Dude, we will talk again soon, I hope, sir. Great being with you guys. Thanks, Ian. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace. Ian Cron on the Drew Marshall Show. We'll be right back with Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton. 